I need to confess that they don't really teach you how to do days like today. They don't teach you that in seminary. You just feel your way through it, and I hope that you feel the Spirit of God. I also hope that the words that I've prepared um, reflect what I, what I have seen from afar as the nature of the relationship that has happened, that, that allowed today to happen. Um, and I think that we need in our world more leadership like that. A humble leadership rooted in gentleness and love and care uh, that is a whole lot more concerned with what is the next step um, instead of being brash and, 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 and blusterly declarative about what the biggest of big pictures is. That is for someone to do, but maybe for us, it's to just seek God's next step. That's what I've, I feel like has come to me as I've been reading and studying Philippians. We've, we've preached three sermons in a row from Philippians, and this week we turn to chapter 4. Paul loves the Philippian church. And, and love is what distinguishes this letter. He, he writes from a love, but not a love that is sappy or lovey-dovey or the kind of love that makes for good romantic comedies, but it's the kind of love that is genuine and sincere and abiding. It's real. This letter exists because Paul loved the church at Philippi, he wants them to experience the love of God. He wants them to exude the love of Jesus. And he wants them to lead one another through and with and by that love as well. That's what I'm thinking about as we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I stand firm in the Lord this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Synthrith to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel. Together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I've titled this sermon, Living and Leading Well, because I think it takes the same traits, the same virtues, to do either one. Now, many of the characteristics of being a human being who lives well are the same as, then, what it takes to lead well. That doesn't mean we all will, like, lead professionally. But I do believe that everyone who lives leads in some way. And that's why it's important to see that these are one and the same. I think we're here in this unique day because of good leadership. But it wasn't good leadership proclaimed from on high, unless it was God's leadership, and then it was proclaimed quietly and gently. But, but we're here because of, of loving generosity and gentleness and a way of being a Christian that led Deacon Frank and Pastor Walter and Brother Steve and some Baptist men's, men to enter into a relationship. They were just living faithfully. And our churches ended up doing something together. Neither one sought to lead. Neither one did anything other than to seek to live well. And in living well, they led. And that is something every single one of us, I would say can do, but I actually think the word is must do. This morning, we are thankful to celebrate a relationship It's a gift for you to be here. I mean, it is a gift that I don't even understand, but I'm thankful for. It's a gift to put faces with handshakes and hugs with names. And it's a gift to see and be with people who long for their church to be full of love and grace and hope in the same way that we hope that our church will be full of those things. And so we celebrate a loyal partnership, a companionship like Paul described with those names he called out. And we give thanks for seeing it come to fruition. Now living well makes me think of a phrase, the good life. And when I think of the good life, uh, my mind rattles through things I've heard back in the past. And one of the things that comes to mind is uh, celebrities who talk about the good life. And you can imagine what they would say. The rapper Kanye West has a song that describes the good life as exotic travel and luxury goods and gold watches and Ferraris and television fame, right? That is, for him and for many in this world, the definition of a good life. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you could think about the granola-y people who you find in the natural section of the Whole Foods and define their good life. Maybe their good life is a Life is Good t-shirt with a dog catching a frisbee on the back of it, a cabin in the woods, two people riding a bicycle. For them, natural foods, equitably sourced clothing from natural fibers and home remedies define the good life. And there is a contrast between those two polar opposites. 
But both have the potential to become idolatry. When the good life is dependent on circumstances and economic realities that often reside outside of our control. If the good life is a Ferrari, there is not enough to go around. If the good life is granola, I guarantee you it's not going to sit well on somebody's stomach. If the good life is a place or a product or something we merely consume, then it all falls short. That's not right, I don't think. And that's not what Paul is saying here either, I don't think. I believe in Philippians, Paul describes a good life not as a product you can buy or a place you can go, but as a power and a presence that we can embody and we can experience. The power and presence of God among us, working through us. Think about the action words and the verb phrases. Go back to high school and think about the verb phrases in this passage alone. Rejoice always. Let your gentleness be known. Do not worry. Through prayer, through thanksgiving, the peace of God will guide you. The peace of God will guard you. Then you get down further, verses 8 and 9. Do what is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, and commendable. Think about excellence. Think about commendable things. Think about things worthy of praise. And now you and me, think about the contrast in those action words and Kanye, or a Good Life t-shirt. For Kanye, the good life means to flaunt and experience something grand. For the t-shirt, it means to experience something removed or internal. But for the gospel, the good life means to engage with one another and in the world in a particular way so as to bless it. The words of this passage describe ways of living in the world that are not removed from it, but actually engage it for the sake of grace and love and goodness. The people of God, according to Paul, live well through rejoicing and being gentle. The people of God take their temperature not by worrying, but by letting peace guide and guard us. And for the people of God, when it comes to what we show off to the world, how we engage in the world outside of ourselves, we are to do what is honorable and pure and pleasing and commendable. We don't show the world up and we don't remove ourselves from the world. Rather, we show the world goodness through what we do and how we do it. And ultimately, when we are guided by these words, by these phrases, by these ideas, by these virtues, this is how the world is changed. And this is what it means to live well and to lead well. Because by living like this, we will lead those who need to be led to something else. The world needs to be led because left to 
their own devices, to our own devices, well-meaning people do what we think is right, but our natural inclination is to revolve the world around ourselves. And when we revolve around ourselves with just what we think is right and what we think is best and what we think will do well, and when we are rotating around our own center of gravity, we are rotating around the wrong center of gravity. We can't rotate around ourselves. We must rotate around the God who wants us to embody those virtues. And by doing that, Paul claims we will make the world right and best. This is why Christians are here in the world. This is what we, were, we are called to. And this is why we need to, yes, lead well, but that starts with living well by living out these gospel virtues in Paul's letter. Our friends, our co-workers, and those around us need more than just judgmental, blustery leaders who jump out front and try to tell us how to do things. They need to look around and see a world full of people who are embodying gospel virtues, who are living it out, And the ones who are living it out look distinctively different than everybody else. Those who experience this way of living, the way that we are called to live, see that it's not just good people who come to services like this one. Instead, they see Christian people who embody gospel virtues and do life differently. They don't just do something differently with one hour a week. We become people who are easy to talk to because we are gentle. We become interesting because we are concerned with generosity. And we become an asset to any and every organization because we are just and good and kind. This is what we are called to. And embodying these virtues means that we both lead well and we both live well. I thought about these Virtues, these traits, and I thought about the people in my life who have lived these out. And a particular story came to mind about my grandmother. My grandmother is 97 years old. She is aging, but in her prime, she was good. She made good cinnamon rolls. She was a good person, yes. She was a great cook. Yes, she was a good mother and grandmother. She was the first southern woman I know, even though I met her in the northernmost part of Upper Michigan, because she married my grandfather when he was in the service in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. They married, and she moved up north with him. And one of the first things I think they did was to join the Bethany Baptist Church, because she could marry a Lutheran husband, and you could take her out of the south, but you couldn't take the Baptist out of her. She embodied every one of these traits that Paul talks about. And this summer, when we were in Michigan, it became clear to me that this is what she knew life to be. Because we, me and my family, the four of us, my two brothers, their families, there was about 14 of us that walked into her room at her care facility. She she didn't immediately recognize us. 
But she was overwhelmed with all of the children, eight great-grandchildren of hers. And she said, I'm going to call the church and tell them you're coming to Sunday school because they're going to want to have you there. And she was right. They probably would have wanted to have them there. But what she was conveying was more than a desire to get kids into Bethany Baptist Church's Sunday school class. She was expressing the embodiment of these virtues. As everything else from her memory was fading away, what she returns to is her default. And what her default setting had become was the embodiment of these virtues and the training of children in the importance of living in this way. For her, what was left was to cultivate kindness. What is left is to learn and remember that others are to be esteemed as greater than you. What is left is to go and experience the love of God so that when you are aged, what's left is the love of God in you to be shared with someone else. Even in aging, she is living well. And she is leading well also. This morning we celebrate, we recognize a unique partnership. Nobody sets out to help a church three hours away. But sometimes that's what God brings you. And for that we give great thanks. We celebrate a church from Tarboro and a church from Oxford doing a project that is incredible, beyond what we could have asked or imagined, but one whose seeds, whose roots, and whose virtues lie in the very things of Philippians chapter 4. Our Baptist men embodied these virtues as they expressed them to us, and we believe, we know, we have heard that, that Pastor Walter and Deacon Frank, that your church embodied them as well. And when the Spirit of God went to work bringing individuals together, what they found was something beyond what we could have imagined. Few could have done this. I suspect no one could have done this as the result of some leadership development seminar or some book that they read. Instead, what they found was a connection based on the gentleness, expressing it to everyone, on a belief that the Lord is near, and on the embodiment of the virtues of truth and justice, purity, honor, excellence, and love. And so for all of us today, we are reminded to think on these things, to live through these things, and to embody these things, no matter who we are or where we're called, or what we're called to. Because that's what God calls us to, and the God who calls us to that will be with us when we do that, and will help us to live well, and will help us to lead well, so that they can live well also. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the ways that you lead us, Lord, we remember from the Old Testament that it wasn't in the great wind, it wasn't in the tornado, it was in the still silence in the cleft of the rock where you were found. Lord, we would love to see you sky right in the sky exactly what it is that we need to do, 
Lord, we would love for you to give us a specific to-do list each day of how it is we can live well. But Lord, the answer is here in front of us. To embody these virtues, and in embodying these virtues, we will live well, and we will lead others well. And most importantly, we will lead them to you. And so, Lord, on this day, we give thanks. We give thanks for the way that you have led us and the ways you have led through us. And we pray that we would have the courage to be led and to lead in this way again. Lord, this is the call that you place on us. It's a call that we receive with fear and trembling, but it is a call that we receive knowing that you will go with us. And therefore, it is in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we pray today. Amen.